HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Thurman Maple Days. Celebrate flowing of sap in the Adirondacks, self-guiding to seven sites for talks, tours, tastes, and old-fashioned friendliness. For more information, visit ThurmanMapleDays.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with Lucas Voger. See, I got the I got the hard R. Hard G. Hard G. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was aiming for the R. Maybe I got the G. I don't even remember it anymore. Thank you. Um, <laughs> congratulations. You, you are here today to celebrate what was an amazing project to collaborate on. And full disclosure, I got to work with you on this. Yeah. Um, Bowl, the cookbook. And... What was so amazing about it is I, I really had never met you in person before. Um, I knew of your work. I knew of your Made by Lucas vegetable patties. And I thought you were uh, a staunch vegetarian. Um, and I don't know what, like, the, the counter to that, the, the meat Democrat. Um, but then I met you, and aside from having Shake Shack on set... Your view about food is not strictly vegetarian, even though your books are and your business are. Your view on food is just intelligent. Hey, that's a nice way to put it. I'd, um, I definitely have gone through stretches um, in my life of being um, a strict vegetarian. Right now, I'm not in one. And I guess the way I sort of explain it is my cookbooks are, are really the way I, my, I mean, my food products are how I eat at home when I cook for myself, which is the vast majority of the time. And then, um, when I go out to eat or if I'm invited over to somebody's house, somebody's house for dinner, or if on set where, you know, we spent five days shooting bowls, you know, elbow deep in vegetables and pho broth and Roman <laughs> broth. And it's just like, maybe today we should order Shake Shack. Cause that, that's kind of, I listen to that voice. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it, that this way of eating really works for me with uh, the vegetarian most of the time. Yeah, was it an eventual thing? You grew up what in Idaho in yeah. the land of the potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of course, there are a lot of starches there, but was it was it a vegetable forward cuisine that you you spent your youth eating? No, I, it's very. I had I grew up with a uh, meat and potatoes, very classic sort of uh, Midwest diet, I guess. <laughs> um, I had not my family said we always ate at the table together, but um, not necessarily like a food forward family. I really learned to cook um, on my own and. I worked at a bakery when I was in high school, and then when I moved to New York and as college, I worked in a restaurant kitchen, um, and then just have always taken classes and loved cookbooks and loved food literature, and I'm very self-educated, I guess, with, with the food stuff. Yeah, I mean, it shows, too, because we had you we had you working on set, too. Usually you have an author, and they kind of uh, you know hum about and look at things and either compliment or destroy, um, but... We had you cooking your butt off in the kitchen, and we would step away from set, and by we, I mean Rebecca Pepler, the stylist, and I would step away, and usually that's that's our heavy lifting, you know, making sure that's all set, and we just stand back in awe of you every once in a while, <laughs> um, because that intrinsic skill that you had uh, coaxing flavors out of foods that I wouldn't expect um, to just really was kind of enlightening. Um, and when you started your career, you know, this vegetable forward career, um, why the veggie burger? Why the patty? How was that your, your, your carrier, your vessel? It really happened by accident. I was I worked in book publishing for about 10, 10 years, a little less than 10 years. And for the last couple of years, and it was in a freelance capacity. But um, a friend of mine was starting a publishing house, and he mentioned he was looking for somebody to write a cookbook about veggie burgers. And I, he was asking me if I knew anyone, and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do that because you know I'd been making veggie burgers and I liked veggie burgers, and especially you know um, and through college I ate a lot of them um, and knew how much better homemade ones were than the store bought ones. And so I put together a proposal and just sent it to him. And he's like, oh, this looks good. And so I started writing it. And then it's, it's kind of funny. At the beginning of that project, um, I bought all of the frozen veggie burgers at the market and tried them. And then I spent that you know year or so developing all my recipes and eating a lot of veggie burgers. And then at the end of it, I went and bought them again and tried them again. And that was kind of – it was pretty amazing. Like I knew that the homemade ones were a lot better than the frozen um, store-bought ones, but I'd, I'd forgotten how like how stark the difference is. So that was when I realized there was an opportunity to do some um, – uh, develop something for the retail, for the grocery stores. What is your tagline? It's ready-to-shape ground and seasoned. Veggies, yeah. yeah. Or I call them ready-to-shape veggie burgers. It's, it's sold as a mix. So yeah. you can um, yeah, make big patties, small patties, use it as you would ground meat. Yeah, and – you say ground meat, and you know, again, I think of something fresh. It's not like you're usually buying frozen ground meat. Actually, I, I don't know because I don't buy frozen ground meat because fresh is better. And uh -huh. why that never translated over to uh, vegetables or veggie patties, yeah, kind of confounds you. Yeah, I don't. It is. I, I, it's been hard. That's that's a challenge with the product, just because you do have to educate people a lot about it. And ground meat people buy because it's very much part of their day to day cooking, but. Ground and seasoned, ready to shape veggies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> is still uh, still trying to preach about that. Well, I think there's such a holdup about TVP, uh -huh. you know, uh, uh, fake meats. So you know, vegetable burgers aren't a substitute for a burger. Uh, you know, ergo, Shake Shack instead right. of you know, made by Lucas. Um, but how are they firmly a part of a diet? I mean, what what do they offer as far as nutritional value, health, or or flavors that? You know, a burger can't. 
Well, I, I don't think of veggie burgers as really having much to do with hamburgers at all, especially, I mean, it's mostly just the serving method. And for me, I don't often even serve them as a burger. I like to make a veggie patty and put it on top of a salad or we made them on set. We waffled them. Um, no, that wasn't with you, but we waffled the veggie burgers. See, and now, now, I, now I'm a little patty. bummed. I didn't get waffled. No, I <laughs> I'll do that sometime. That was fun. Um, I, it's it, well, mine in particular are, they're all about vegetables. 80% of it's vegetables and we make them upstate in the Hudson Valley and, um, source them from local vegetables. So the whole idea is it's a veggie burger that tastes like vegetables. And, um, that, can't necessarily be said for the frozen ones. I feel like the frozen ones are really trying to approximate meat, either in texture or in some kind of bizarre synthetic flavor. And what mine have to offer is like, this is a patty that genuinely tastes like vegetables and is made from good, fresh vegetables. Yeah. I mean, they're fortified. I mean, other burgers that you've made have been fortified with seeds and, and yeah. quinoa. And we, yeah. And so the other 20%, there's quinoa yeah. and millet and spices and seeds, but, but no soy, no TVP. Yeah, no dairy, no yeast, nope. no gluten. Exactly. <laughs> See, it, it feels like an elimination diet, but once you actually taste them, you realize how much you're getting. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny when you think about processing a vegetable, um, how much you actually waste or how much a lot of people waste, you know, the, the end of a root or a stalk, the peelings, the shavings. So when you're getting this this product, which is ground i mean you're getting a hundred percent of what you get the highest yield you can yeah we have very very little vegetable waste it's maybe like the little top of the carrot but we we grate everything up um use use all the trimmings and everything yeah well you know what isn't a substitute for you know a, a meat heavy ramen broth it's a veggie ramen broth <laughs> but you don't need a substitute for that you know once i had these flavors um, because bowl is about ramen, pho, bibimbap, dumplings, these one-dish meals. Once I had these flavors, you know, I never thought of these things as, oh, this would be better with pork. This would be better with beef. I would just keep on saying, this is really effing good. <laughs> like, it, it really, That's its own thing. Yeah. I, it stands alone, um, as does the one-dish bowl. And we'll talk <laughs> about uh, bowl versus plate and that odd controversy or i don't even know what to call it right now <laughs> bowlgate yeah the bowlgate that mean that's kind of run through um you know media right now but you know what was so important about making references or odes to uh, these classic dishes but making sure people know that you know these are delicious uh, vegetarian versions i think it's probably similar to veggie burgers in the way that it makes them familiar um, by calling it a vegetarian pho people sort of have an idea of what to expect and what it does have in common, like what, what my vegetarian pho has in common with a, a sort of traditional one, even though there's a lot of variations of traditional pho, but it is um, that um, combination of warm spices and the rice noodles and the, the abundant fresh herbs on top. And so what it doesn't have is that like sort of rich meat depth, but what it does have is a lot of really nice delicacy. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it just, it anchors it a little bit to, to relate it to um its meat counterpart yeah it's funny you should just do a book called bowl the meat counterpart <laughs> <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you already got those bowls set up okay so the bowl the bowl gate this 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 crazy bowl trumping plates thing uh, where do you stand <laughs> oh well i'm pro bowl i wrote the book <laughs> called bowl um i i guess it's the, there was something that came out recently calling them power bowls and i guess i draw the line right there because i don't know what a power bowl is um, like chakra bowl. 
Yeah, yeah. or I guess uh, I, that that to me makes it sound sort of faddish, and maybe it is a little bit faddish, and I'm lucky to be able to capitalize on it yeah. with my book coming out right now. But um, I don't know. The bowl is just really appealing. It's like it's, and it's certainly not a new thing, especially in Asian cuisines. Like the bowl has been the serving vessel of for you know many, many, many years. Um, and I've been certainly eating things out of bowls for a long time. It's it's just a, that combination. So I guess the, the the bowl thing right now would be more of a grain bowl, or so it's um, the, those types. It, you, the appeal of them is that you get everything in one bowl, and it's a well-rounded meal with a lot of whole foods-based components. Yeah. Um, and I find that, why, why wouldn't you like that? Who? How do you, what do yeah, you say? No, no, I mean, I agree. As you know, I have quite the bowl collection now. Uh-huh. Um, and, and what I always thought of as bowls, you know, a lot of collegiates, I think, I feel like they eat out of bowls to cut down on dishwashing. Sure. Um, but I learned it from a more Buddhist approach. When I was learning certain sects of uh, cuisine, it was about, you know, using one bowl to, to cook and mix everything, you know, the least amount of energy, ex- you know, oh, okay. spent. Um, so I thought the bowl was kind of this very spiritual vessel. Um, oh, and, and I still feel it that way. And being on set with you, I felt, I felt that connection, not only to, you know, the props that we were using, but the way you thought about your food. Um, I did call your, your, your cooking intelligent, but I also think it's just thoughtful, mm. you know, which, which is slightly different than having, you know, that, that knowledge behind what you're making, but you know, you, you have a knowledge behind how you think it's going to affect people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's, that's I nice. mean, I'm assuming you think of that. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, um, I want, I want people to enjoy, I want people, you know, the best recipes are the ones that people make over and over again. So that's what I'm aiming for with, with every time I develop a new one. Yeah. Which are the recipes that you personally make over and over again? Um, well, I, like most people, I lean, the easiest ones are the ones that I, I make <laughs> the most often. But, um, I, one, the other thing I was thinking, um, when we're just talking about the peel of bowls or what I think is the peel of bowls is how like leftover friendly they are when that with the different components, it's like, it's a way to revitalize leftovers and taste them in a new way. So it's, I don't know, you have all these different things and leftover marinated kale or some roasted squash and you've got some eggs and you can, you have them one way one night and then you just kind of throw together a bowl for lunch the next day. And it's like all the same stuff, but it kind of tastes new. Yeah. It's a carryover (laughs) meal. Yeah. Well, I think bibimbap is literally, um, you know, cleaning out the fridge. Oh, okay. I mean, I think (laughs) most Koreans know that as like, what do I have here? We're going to make it into a rice bowl. So Uh it is, it is, you know, fusing all those flavors that you maybe had separately and now are putting together. Yeah. But, you know, bowl the book will show you that you can do that with so many different um, cuisines and so many different ingredients and have so many different meals. It's not just restricted to the bowl that it's served in. Totally. Excellent. We're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Thurman Maple Days. Celebrate flowing of sap in the Adirondacks, self-guiding to seven sites for talks, tours, tastes, and old-fashioned friendliness. Maple syrup lovers unite. How was maple syrup made 100 years ago? 
What are the current practices? What are sugar shacks? Visit Thurman County and go on the maple syrup tour of a lifetime for three glorious weekends to celebrate the start of spring and the end of cabin fever. ThurmanMapleDays.com has all the information you need. Watch sap being gathered and boiled and see how a certified tree farm makes maximum use of the wood from maple and other trees. Enjoy a whole day of fun activities, demonstrations, sampling, and shopping for delectable goodies, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. each day. Like pancakes? Of course you like pancakes. Pancake breakfast at Valley Road Maple Farm is available each day, beginning at 9 a.m. and running until 1 p.m., so you won't have to miss a minute of tour time. If you can already taste the maple syrup, visit ThurmanMapleDays.com to find out more. And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Here again with Lucas of Bowl, of Made by Lucas. But he's also got a great new venture, which I'm just overly emphatic about. I mean, I don't think I can be emphatic enough about um, Jari. Jari, yeah. Tell me the origins of what Jari means and what it means to you. Okay, so Jari is um, a word in this vernacular called Polari, which was in use um, throughout um, a good chunk of the 20th century, mostly in England, in among gay men in, uh, in uh, arts professions, and it was a way for... Um, them gay guys to identify each other in public when of course it was like not safe and not legal to be gay and so zhuzh like to zhuzh your hair is a polari word um morrissey's album uh, bona drag those are polari words and uh in polari jari means food so um to me we what jari is um for me is a mag it's a new magazine that i started with my partners um, alex kristofchik kristofchik and uh, steven vixjo and um we it's a uh, tagline is men plus food plus men. And we describe it as a food magazine for gay guys. It's a biannual print magazine that explores sort of where food culture and where gay culture intersects. Yeah. I mean, so th- there are these luminaries, uh, James Beard, mm-hmm. Richard Olney, uh, Craig Claiborne, New York times who were gay. You know, I, I can picture James Beard waking up, uh, on 12th street. If you've ever been to the James Beard house, um, you know, stark nude with his mirrored ceiling looking out into the world and but that was almost as gay as he got uh, you know outside of that house kind of showing himself off through the windows um and though many people knew he was gay i don't feel like there was ever that intersection of where gay met food it was just that yeah well I, for me the interesting thing about james beard is how yes people he was out and this is i guess the politics of being out is is interesting in this way but I meet people all the time that had no idea he was a gay man. Yeah. And the same thing is said for Craig Claiborne and Richard only that it's not, it's just not really part of their legacy in, um, in popular culture. It certainly is among foodies like, like you and like me and for people who've, um, read some of those primary texts and are interested in the culture around it. But, um, that's always been really interesting to me. Like I, I had to go digging for it to find out that these guys were gay. Yeah. Um, it was, it's not just, it's like a footnote in their story rather than being, um, I mean, it's like Julia child and Paul, it's like Paul is part of the story, you know, and, and every people just know that because of, um, the way the story has been framed, but it's, it's less so that way for, for these guys. So that was kind of a starting point for Jari and, um, um, and then certainly th- believing that there's so much history that is yet to be um, 
lot to be yet to be explored and we wanted to have a place to publish that but there's also so many great people working today doing stuff today and the landscape has changed so much for gay guys that um we wanted to be able to celebrate that stuff too so looking back looking forward yeah i mean i thought john bursall's piece was such a nice introduction to that concept of you know when 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 does someone come out, you know, uh-huh. you know, or how does somebody come out and how is that accepted within a specific community? Because he was writing specifically about, uh, you know, maybe cooking in the Midwest, but the San Francisco scene in the 80s. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I've walked through the Castro many a times and um, it's almost harder to find someone who is straight than is gay there. It is celebrated. You know, it, it is quite an epicenter. But to think that it wasn't within a kitchen. Whereas everywhere else outside of those walls, it was. Uh huh. Blows my mind. Yeah. And that's so you're talking about John's, John yeah. Birdsall, the, the food writer, who I'm sure everyone knows. He wrote our feature article for Jari. And he does. He talks about being in kitchens in the 80s where it was a very not gay friendly place. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, then looking forward to today to see what the state of being out in the kitchen is like and sort of comes to an interesting conclusion about privilege and being, you know, white and being able to pass um, and how that's not true for a lot of gay people. Yeah. I mean, do you think this gives privilege to the gay community in any way, you know, starting this magazine and starting a discussion? I don't even mean privilege, but, but do you think it gives it a community that it didn't have over the past decade? Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly... Uh, gay guys who are interested in food it's, it's it was crazy how quickly a community coalesced around around Jari it was just there waiting it's um, I I think uh, I don't know um, it, it I it I don't know if it like well I'm not sure how to, how to answer it's um, there the community was there it just needed something to rally around and I, and I think Jari was Right there, um, at the right time, at the right place. Yeah, you sure it wasn't Blake? You know, Blake wasn't. Oh. A, he was a wonderful thing to rally around. Blake Bashoff, yeah, the yeah. cover guy, yeah, <laughs> who's Angelica Houston's personal chef. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean it was wonderful. I mean, y- you had these people, you had these kind of cogs of all these different parts of the food industry, who were were you know proud gay men, um, and you, you follow their stories and you express these ideas, and you know. When you read this magazine and you kind of forget that it's a kind of gay food magazine, you start thinking of it just as a food magazine. And I hope that's an ultimate goal for everyone, that there isn't these distinctions of, you know, you are this and food. I mean, I feel like we can kind of coalesce underneath the greater food community. Yeah, I think so. It's it's definitely been very... um, the We've gotten a lot of support from all over the food industry, so, so that's been fantastic and, and very heartening yeah but what makes joey arias's kitchen different what makes his kitchen different and in, in, in what i mean i i can talk about it from you know a sexuality standpoint but just he is such a striking figure uh-huh. uh, in the world of well cirque du soleil uh, zumanity um i mean what makes him such an outspoken creature oh just that uncompromising um uh, faith in his vision. I just, I love artists like that, that, um, they just do it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's inspiring in that way. He's, he's crazy, or, uh, crazy in the best way, but he carries around hot peppers in his bag <laughs> and just like munches on them. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah. Dried, if he can't get fresh ones, he'll just munch on dried chilies. And I like how you follow that up with a ballet 
dancer's uh-huh. diet, you know, which I've seen written about before, but maybe not as um, passionately, not not as kind of caringly. Um, t- tell me about you know that diet and why you thought it was an important thing to kind of have after Joey's in the kitchen with. Um, well, we, so Russell Jansen is a soloist with the New York city ballet and I, um, had known him before Jari and I knew that he was really into food. Um, and I thought it was interesting that being a foodie is not necessarily something that you, uh, associate with, with dancers. I feel like the characterization of dancers that they, you know, he talks about like counting grapes in a Dixie cup. Um, and so to have him be this like very enthusiastic foodie, I thought that was interesting. And then I knew how, um, physically exhausting and demanding it is to have one of those weekends of, you know, Friday, there's two performances, Saturday, there's two performances and there's one on Sunday. And sometimes he'll be lined up to, you know, work at all three of the shows and like, what do you eat? How do you stay fueled for that? And how do you, know, so I, I wanted to go through the weekend and see like every single thing that he ate, um, while that was happening. I guess we followed the the sequencing in the magazine. Um, I think it, it, we all collaborated on that. And so like Steve is the creative director. And I think there's something visually that works about the flow. Um, it might just be that uh, subliminally we were having like an art section <laughs> going from, yeah. going from Joey Arias to Russell, the ballet dancer. Um, I don't know. It just—it's one of those things that might have just worked when we saw it, and we didn't uh, overthink it. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it just works so beautifully because, again, Joey is such a overt personality, and I think, you know, having having Russell right afterwards was more about physicality, hmm. um, more than it was. And again, it humanized Jari as a magazine in a way that I didn't expect because I thought I would be able to say. You know, this is a gay article because this uh-huh. is a gay article because. But then I stopped thinking about what was gay about any of it. Uh-huh. Oh, you know? that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope that's great. But I, I really just loved how personal these stories were. And again, like it just humanized everything so much so that I just thought of it as the greater, uh, you know, culinary landscape. Yeah. Well, it definitely has felt... Uh, um one of the things that's been so wonderful about Jari is that it's a community and I've met so many awesome people through that magazine as contributors and the people that have come to our events and that I've, um, interacted with, um, online. And it, I, f- I feel like that it's certainly we, um, we will stick to our mission of making a magazine that's, you know, a food magazine aimed for a gay audience. But, um, what you're saying about the, these are individuals and celebrating the specific people within the communities. That's, that's really what it's about. And it's, um, and it's exciting to do that when people are doing such interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, selfishly excited that I get to celebrate you in this, in this small you know, half hour, little clip, because <laughs> I think you've done such wonderful things for not only yourself, but for everyone that you touch. I mean, um, it was one of the best projects I ever worked on. Not I was, just because that was such a fun week. Yeah. I mean, and you said we were going to reminisce and here's that yeah, little part. Okay. <laughs> it was so fun to meet you and work with you, but see that your vision carries over past the book that it, that encompasses your life and everything that you do. Um, so, you know, have a made by Lucas Patty and you'll taste that and you know meet lucas and you'll feel that read jerry and you know that he's looking for other people in that same same realm so i I just feel like this episode is just titularly lucas oh (laughs) thanks that's really really sweet of you thank you again and go out you know have a patty 
eat out of a bowl and check out the magazine and just keep following Lucas wherever he goes. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org. Org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three. Big shout out to uh, Thurman Maple and Music by Cookies. And of course, Dave, the engineer. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.